Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Uh, Beautiful Sunday morning. Don't get too excited about the weather report. All right. They are talking a relatively high percentage of rain. Very high compared to what we've been seeing. Um, But that's no guarantee. And they're talking that if you're lucky enough to be in one of these areas to get rain, the max may be a quarter inch. I know rain is rain. We will take what we can get. But it won't be till later this evening, and it's still going to keep our temperatures above 100. Now, some of the nighttime temperatures are finally starting to fall off. That's a good sign. That means we're headed towards the fall season where plants can fruit. Like, look for your fall tomatoes. But we are still so short of rain. One of the weather stations is talking about a 50% chance of rain today. Yeah, well, that 50% chance is really spotty showers and not much actual rain falling. Like I said, rain is rain. We'll take every drop we can get. But I wouldn't bet the farm on it. It doesn't look like we are going to get a ton of rain. Um, If we can get any, that always helps. That always helps. But um, being a small amount, too, if we don't get a lot of rain in a short period of time, that reduces the chances for um, runoff and flash flooding. I'm looking at the weather report right now, and they're talking measurements of a tenth of an inch. A tenth of an inch. Well, every drop refills your rainwater tanks, right? Keeps your rainwater tanks full. So hopefully we can do that. You know, I had somebody text me yesterday, and uh, it was an interesting text. They they did the the water collection from their uh, rainwater collection, not rainwater uh, condensation collection. from their air conditioner. And they stated, trying to find it here, they stated that they had collected 200 plus gallons of water so far. I'm trying to check the time frame. Um, I think it was in the past month. That's pretty impressive. It can be 
the make or break difference for some of our plants. Now, things aren't thriving, okay? Things aren't thriving. Here, let me see. I finally found it. Uh, Yeah, 35 days of the AC condensation, that line that runs out of the the bottom of the house, usually right next to your air conditioning unit, they got about 230 gallons over a month. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, That's 30 days. That's what? Five gallons a day? Six? That's pretty good water. They have it in containers. They have it stored, which means that they can use just a little here and a lot there and really keep their landscape going or their garden or their flowers. So that is always, uh, you know, let's not waste any water and let's try to get it uh, anywhere we can. So some of the interesting ways to really be efficient with the water system. Now the weather report, the temperatures are getting a little better, a little better. Mostly those nighttime temperatures are starting to drop off. Now tonight's nighttime temperature is listed as 81, way too high. Way too high. But the rest of the week, we're starting to drop to the upper 70s, mid-70s. Those are the numbers that we want to see fall off so that that second season, your fall tomatoes, can start flowering and producing fruit. It's a little early yet because we're so hot but this wouldn't be a bad time to start another batch of cucumbers. Give it another week or two, let the weather break, and put in new cucumber seeds. They come up really fast, you know. If you want to start them now, you could. I would start them inside rather than outside so they don't have to deal with this heat. But cukes would be another one that you could get a fall season of cucumbers. I have fall tomatoes. We have 10 of them we planted from seed that we're looking to put in for this fall. Um, What else could you throw out there? You could start something like zucchini, acorn squash, uh, yellow, yellow crookneck patty pan, those squashes. Those would be great to start inside by seed right now because they grow so fast. They, they, they will just pop right up, and you can transplant them once our weather is not so blazing hot. So there's opportunity for things to do in the, for the garden without being outside in the garden. 
What else could you start? All kinds of fall flowers. All kinds of fall flowers. Um, you could get the seeds easily and get every alyssum. Uh, let alyssum grow and let it just saturate the air with that beautiful, sweet smell. We can garden without being in the garden. In this weather, that's a good idea. Just so you don't overdo yourself and keep your fingers crossed that the weather finally breaks soon. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> you know, uh, the question was asked, is it bad for your plants? Yesterday, someone was asking about your garden hose lays out in the sun and the water in it gets really hot, scalding level hot. I mean, you have to be careful if you're going to squirt a kid, uh, a pet. Well, what about the plants? They would really prefer not getting sprayed with 140 degree water. That's the temperature or higher that you wind up getting in your garden hose, and you have to be careful of that. What do you do? Well, there were a lot of suggestions. One is spray the water on uh, the soil around a plant till it cools off, because the plant itself does not need to be sprayed with water. When you water your plants, you need to water the ground you don't put water on the plant itself. When it's that hot, hitting the soil first will get it to cool off fairly quickly, at least reduced to a bearable temperature for the plants. Someone suggested setting your water, emptying your water can, putting it out, and taking the very hot water and filling the water can first until the water gets cool again. You can use the watering can water once it cools off, which really may not take much time. But should you wind up with that hot water and put it directly on anything? No, not really. It's too hot to use to put on people, pets, Little kids especially, they're not going to be a fan of how hot it is. It will scald them. But if you're going to get it out of there, spray it on the soil. You, that's how you should be watering anyway. You want to have the water on the soil around the plant. You don't water the plant itself. That just puts a lot of risk you create opportunities for diseases to attack the plant. And that has nothing to do with the temperature of the water. That has to do 
with whether it's 40 degree water or 140 degree water, water doesn't cause the disease. Water is necessary for the disease to survive. So the leaf is food. You water the plant, get water on it, you have food and water for the disease. So water the soil. Water the soil. Slow, deep, steady water. Oh, this is a great question. And this, this actually comes up a lot. You just had, oh, I don't know, maybe you uh, got yourself an acorn squash. And you roasted it and it tastes really good. What do you do with all those seeds you scrape out? Well, first, you can rinse them off, spread them out on a cookie sheet, maybe put a sheet of parchment paper down, put them in the oven and roast them. Add your salt or whatever seasoning you want to it, and you have roasted seeds. They'll be delicious. Well, what about using those to start the next season's crop? Here's the pros and cons on that. You have to make sure that the seed is mature enough. Sometimes when you purchase zucchini, the seeds may not have matured. And if you go to save the seeds by cutting the zucchini open, taking the seeds out, you rinse them off, you let them dry on a paper towel, and then you plant them when you're ready, not all of them are going to germinate. Some may, and if they do, we have a different problem, but let's say they do. Guess what? You're going to be able to produce food, being squashes, from what you got at the store when you bought it to eat it. Now, here's where the catch-22 comes in. Some of the crops that you would purchase where you could save the seed and use the seed for the next season are hybridized. So you may not get exactly what that zucchini was when you purchased it at the store. It can wind up in a situation where the, the store squash had, <coughs> excuse me, the store squash had two parents. Parent A and parent B, and they wind up producing a seed. They plant that seed, and that's the squash you got in the store. When you plant seeds from that, there is no guarantee you're going to get that combination again. So you may wind up with um, a seed that's not as resistant to some diseases as the original seed was, or you wind up with one that um, it's not as tender, has a slightly different taste to it. 
but it should be okay. It should be fine to do that. That is why the difference between taking last night's dinner seeds and planting them and turn around and buying new seeds, the new seeds will guarantee what kind of plant you're going to get. Planting the seeds from what you had for dinner should produce the same kind of plant, but it may not be exactly the same. And that can be an issue. When we take in, here's a common example. You eat a peach and you put the pit in the ground and it grows into a peach tree. The problem with that is most of the peach trees that we get at nurseries and we plant in our yards are uh, grafted to roots that can resist the nematodes in our soil. When you plant the raw seed, that resistance to nematodes isn't necessarily passed on. So you may not get as healthy a plant as you did when you bought the one from the store. These are trivial things that you need to consider. You can still get great peaches, but the plant may not be as healthy as it would be if it was grafted to the nematode-resistant rootstock. This applies to almost every seed-bearing plant that we have. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. We'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, I got texted a question, and this is so common that I, I just want to answer it this way. Um, how much water do you give a tree? One of the things you want to look at, again, slow application, no runoff, nice deep soaking. What does deep soaking mean? Let's say today is your watering day. Tomorrow is mine, for example. I would go and turn the soaker hose I have or the drip line or whatever. I would turn it on around the tree and let it run at least a couple hours. The day after, the day after I water, I want to go out and whether I use my fingers or uh, Forrest called yesterday, reminded us that sometimes the soil is too hard, drive a hand trowel into the soil and wiggle it back and forth. You want to feel moisture the day after you water five inches deep. The way the roots of the tree are, you would like to water out at the drip line and you want the day after you're watered 
you want to feel moisture five inches deep. Now, how often do you do that? Well, the more established the tree, the less frequently you'll need to water. So a brand new tree, maybe once a week. A three-year-old tree, maybe once every two weeks. The older the tree, you can go longer between watering until you reach about a month. In this weather, 30 days with no rain, it doesn't really matter how well established or how big the tree is, they can use some water. Slow, deep watering, and 24 hours after you've watered, you should be able to feel moisture five inches deep around that drip line. Okay, that is the best explanation uh, I can give you. Simply because there is no exact amount that's going to, to, to meet their needs. I, I have dealt with people who were very much on the engineering side of the world. I've dealt with people who do um, water calculations, how much pressure needs to be here, how tall a tower do you need to get that pressure, yada, yada, yada that just can't seem to accept that I can't tell you, you need to give your tree that is this tall, this diameter, this many gallons of water every 11 days. That's, that is not a practical situation. New trees, at least once a week, at least once a week. Well-established trees, the more established they are, like I said, somewhere around three years old or so, depending on how good your tree looks, maybe it's once every two weeks. Under no circumstances should you be watering your tree every day. That is more water than the tree wants. And the other part of that is even if you say, well, I'm not putting much water down every day, that means you're not soaking very deep. And that means that you're going to have shallow roots that'll always be crying for water. You want that deep, slow soak. You really need to get that water down under the tree into the root zone. But there is no exact number, no exact number that uh, I can give you. Part of it is I can't even give you an exact number if you have more than one tree on your property. That's because I can dig a hole 10 feet away, dig another hole, 
and have completely different soil profile, completely different till. That's the wonders of growing things here in Central Texas. But once a week should be sufficient for a newly planted tree, okay? If you water correctly, slow, deep watering. The more established the tree, the longer the days between watering. If you are doing it correctly, that slow, deep water, that's the best that, uh, can come up with. That's the most specific that I can show you. And, and you really have to understand, I don't care if you're talking about a tomato, your turf grass, um, a bunch of petunias or the biggest tree you have in your yard. Each one has individual needs. You can't treat each plant exactly the same. You know, it's hard if you have three roses in a flower bed, even the three roses in the same flower bed may have slightly different needs. So you have to keep that in mind. Remember, one of the easiest things is to stick your finger in the soil. That's your measuring vice, folks. A question about what is the drip line? Okay. Let's see here. Let me make sure I got this question correctly. The drip line. Okay, stand, take and stand at the, uh, at a tree and touch the trunk, okay? Now walk out until you just reach the last little tip of a branch and leaves that are growing out. The drip line is called that because when it rains, all those leaves kind of collect and redirect the water and it falls off the end of the branches the end of the leaves that are there. Leaves in the middle of the tree, they still get wet, but the water tends to not fall underneath the tree itself. The drip line is where water will drip off of the leaves. And this applies to whether it's a cedar, um, a juniper, an oak, uh, a Texas ash. This is where the drip line is the end of the leaf canopy. There are 
roots everywhere underneath a tree. But some of the smaller feeder roots, the ones that are more susceptible to being able to pick up the nutrients and water in the soil are out at the edges. What happens if the tree is growing in such a way that half of it is under the sidewalk or a driveway? It is best if, if you can get water completely around the tree. But if you can't, it's fine. If I water only one side of the tree, the entire tree is taking up the water. It will be distributed throughout the tree. It's not like, well, I didn't water on the east side, so nothing's going to grow on the east side. Nope. That's not how it works. Water out at the drip line and cover as much of the drip line as you can. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm talking about where the drip line is and what you should do for water. There's something else you need to remember when you are watering. Let's say you have a garden bed. Flowers, vegetables, doesn't matter. And one end of the garden bed is a couple of feet higher than the other end of the garden bed. Whether that is a natural slope or you terrace the garden or you did something like that, if where you're watering, you have a high side and a low side of physically higher above the ground than the low side, you have to water kind of carefully. You cannot apply the same amount of water at the top of the hill as you do at the bottom of the hill. Gravity gets in the way here, and when you water on top of the hill, gravity gets involved and starts pulling the water down the hill to the low spot of that garden bed or of that slope. When that happens, if you water the same amount at the top as you do at the bottom, guess what? The bottom's gonna get all the water you gave it and the water from the top is going to drain down the hill. So at the bottom of the slope, it may get way more water than it needs. It may actually affect and be muddier there. It is a classic spot for your turf grass to get brown patch. By the way, we do not have brown patch at this time of the year, okay? Simply because we haven't any water. So if you have a tree and it's in the middle of a slope, this happens a lot. Think about how you're watering it. If you put the same amount of water all the way around the tree, you're really going to overwater one side of the tree. 
because of gravity. It's going to get the water to flow downhill. Just something to pay attention to, something that can explain, wow, why is it a muddy mess on this side of the tree? Because that's where the water has flowed. How do you correct that? Well, you start to pay attention and maybe you don't have to water the bottom side of the, of the slope at all. Because when you water the top side correctly, it will drain down to the bottom, which will get the water it needs. Or you don't water as much at the top because you're watering at the bottom of the slope too. You just kind of got to get a feel for this. This is one of the things that is so important when people tell you, you need to know your place. Do you have a slope on your property? Do you have high spots or particularly low spots? Places where when it rains, it's really kind of soggy for a long time. Those are some of the things that you can't just tell by looking. You really need a decent rain or you need um, to see what your sprinklers do. If you run each zone at the same amount, are there areas where some of the zones, even though they supposedly got the same amount of sprinkler water, are so much wetter than the others? That should tell you you should tune that zone down some. It's just one more thing to take into consideration since we have such a shortage of water. Since the water is so precious, it definitely in this kind of heat to have to deal with. So the high end of the slope gets X amount of water. The low end of the slope you got to kind of see how much water drains downhill. How much more do I have to put down to make sure I'm getting that good deep soak? Maybe I don't have to put as much on the bottom of the hill because of that downhill drainage. I've got uh, someone text me an interesting question. And those of you who are pet owners, this is kind of along your lines. Um, what can you do with dog poop? Uh, pick it up. That's the best you can do. Bag it and throw it in the trash. You cannot use dog or cat manure in your compost pile. There are too many diseases that dogs and cats get that can pass to humans and you don't want to take that risk at all. So scoop it up, put it in a bag, throw it in the trash. There are dog poop systems. Basically, it's a, a bottomless bucket in the ground. And you put dog poop in it, cat manure, 
and they have various enzymes that you would sprinkle on top of it and put the lid on. And these enzymes break down the manure and feed it back into the soil. I have no idea of their effectiveness. I haven't had a dog in a lot of years. Um, but I have read about them. People have commented on them. You need to kind of look it up for yourself as to whether or not you want to try this system. It's kind of a big factor as to how big a dog you have and how many of these dogs you have. But the principle is very solid. I just don't know how effective it may be. Now, of course, uh, I, I, I had to drive into town the other day, and I passed three different trucks that were all dog scoop businesses. I was amazed there were that many. I guess there's a lot of dogs in the Austin area. So you can always go that route and pay somebody to come and pick it up and they manage to get it to a proper facility to get rid of it. But that's kind of a trade-off of owning a pet. Do not add animal manure under any circumstances to your compost pile. Scoop it up, bag it, throw it in the trash. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming up on the top of the hour. We need to break for the news. We'll catch you on the other side. 